When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is from season one of The Leadership Journey with Brian Kite. One we did three years ago, but a great topic and one that can't be revisited enough. So here you go, accountability. Welcome to The Leadership Journey, episode 14 on the Coach and Coordinator Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by our co-host, Brian Kite. BK, great to be talking with you again. Glad to be here with you, Keith. The football season, it's like it does every year, it's getting crazy. I think maybe one year we will have a normal, predictable, goes just like everybody says it goes season, but I don't know that that's going to happen in our lifetime. So I am, I am deeply enjoying and thoroughly enjoying the craziness and unpredictable field that is football at high school, college, in the NFL season. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Absolutely. BK, what fun would it be if you tuned in, you knew what was going to happen, and it went as planned? I mean, it's exciting, these upsets, these these teams coming out of nowhere. You and I have talked a number of times about what Iowa State is doing and how exciting that has to be for them and some of the things we've heard from Coach Campbell along the way. And you look at, I know you're close with Ohio State, obviously the, the ride they've been on. And when and maybe most people would count them out, guess what? They're right back in the mix here to maybe earn one of those four spots. Yeah, I mean, it, for all of those teams, you know, I, I think one of the – you and I were just talking about it in, in the pre-show here. One of the things that's so interesting to me watching sports, college football in particular, is how variable attitude and discipline is week to week for 18 to 22-year-old young men, for coaches, the atmosphere in the stadium. It's so variable week to week. If you take your eye off the ball in high school, it's probably even more. If you take your eye off of the leadership or culture or behavior, if you take your eye off of it for even two or three days in the midst of a, a week of prep, if, if it doesn't, if the standard isn't met across two practices and film sessions, the, the results on a Friday night or a Saturday can be disastrous. And with a margin that is so thin and competitors getting closer and closer and closer to each other, it's why we love sports and it's why I take what we do in this corner of our contribution to the game as seriously as we do, because it's the engine that drives everything else inside of a program. And it's the things that win and loses game. And you shared with me before we got going a quote, which kind of addresses that. I think it's, it's a very powerful quote. If you could share that again with our listeners. 
Yeah, I'm a history buff, and we actually just shared this on the Focus 3 podcast, our podcast on the, the most recent episode, 12 Timeless Truths. And when I read old texts, one of the things that we see, and you and I have talked about it a bunch, is that there's not a whole lot that is new. A lot, a lot of things have been around for a while. So I was reading a military general by the name of de Sachs, Maurice de Sachs. He was French, I think German by birth, or born in Germany, and then was in France in 1600s, 1700s, around that time. And he had this to say about leading men in battle. The courage of the troops must be reborn daily. Nothing is so variable. The true skill of a general consists in knowing how to guarantee it, meaning the courage, knowing how to guarantee the courage by his dispositions, meaning his attitude, his positions, meaning by where he was, and by those traits of genius that characterize great captains. It is of all the elements of war, the one that is most necessary to study. Without a knowledge of the human heart, one is dependent upon the favor of fortune, which is sometimes very inconstant. And what I, what I see and hear and feel when I, when I read that, Keith, is here's someone with an understanding in an environment that most of us will never encounter, the environment of war, where lives are on the line, countries are on the line, entire armies are on the line that, that hopefully most of us will never have to encounter. And we appreciate the people who go out and do all of that. But they're talking life and death. And that's why I take what they say so seriously, because the stakes are high there. Everything is on the line. And here's a guy who points out that the courage of the troops must be reborn daily. There is nothing so variable as that. And that the true skill of a general is about knowing how to daily, daily guarantee the courage of his troops to do what needs to be done. Because if you can't do that, you're going to be blowing with fortune. And I think coaches feel like that a lot of times where you go out into a game or you go out into a practice and something happens and you just get overrun. You run into a buzzsaw and you're, you're just, you're kind of shaking your head going, what, what just happened? Where did that come from? And that's what we've wrestled with that the, the ability to guarantee the courage of your players to do what they need to do at the standard of what they need to, at, that they need to do it is dependent upon your skill as a leader. What de Sachs calls the traits of genius that characterize great captains. And what our job is to understand is that it's not traits of genius that were bestowed upon you by birth. The traits of genius that he talks about are skills that you train into yourself and that's the whole reason we're doing this leadership journey is because those traits of genius, it's not talent. It's discipline and skill to get to build and train and sharpen and improve upon. And that's, that's why I get so fired up about this. BK, as we head into this topic of accountability and just thinking of what you said there, I, I did for a second think back to our topic on energy and creating energy. And obviously part of that those warriors you have being reborn is that they got to have some energy. And sometimes, as we said before, you have to create your own energy. So that's a strategy. And that was an early episode. I, I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but an early episode, I encourage coaches to look back on creating energy, both for yourself as a leader and how do you create that energy within your players. And that's something that just doesn't happen during the season where you need to get those guys to that place that you have to have that kind of focus all year long. 
every workout, everything you do in order for those guys to get to where they need to be, to get maximum level of performance, to get elite performance out of those guys. It has to be that kind of attention to detail in building that energy all the time. And obviously that leads into the accountability of that. You know, that's obviously part of the leader's accountability to do for his team, as well as each member of the team having accountability to bring that energy. But the accountability we're going to talk about today, you have built on four different pillars. So go ahead and and talk about the pillars here that you've developed for accountability. I think on that, touching on that creating your own energy piece before talking about these pillars, creating your own energy is actually really, it's really aligned with what the SACS lays out. And that is, if you can't create your own energy, what are you dependent on? Just in life. Like if, if you can't create your own energy in life, you're completely dependent on the energy coming from where? External. Trying there to get it go. externally. And yeah. yeah. And what is more variable than the energy of the environment around you? What's more unpredictable, inconsistent, sometimes actively working against you? So I was I landed I landed last night from Lincoln, Nebraska, and got into my car at about five fifteen. And next thing in, and I'm 30 minutes from the airport and, you know, just, it's now getting dark around, around five o'clock. So it's now, you know, the sunlight's going down. So now the commute home is not in the afternoon sunset where the, you know, still kind of you know, warm, but a little cool and brisk. It's not dark and it's night and it was wet. And, and I left the airport at 515. I'm a half hour from my house. Next thing you know, I'm sitting on 485 outside of Charlotte at 630 stuck in traffic, not even halfway home. The energy of that environment, the energy of being on the freeway after I've been on the road for, you know, basically the last eight days with, you know, one brief stay at home in between, the energy was not in my favor. No. You know, it was, the energy was surprised, you know, it was negativity and, you know, a lot of people being irritated and everybody's upset. There were traffic, there was a big wreck, uh, went across three lanes and stuff. No, but, but in that moment, if I can't create my own energy, I will absorb all of that negativity and frankly anger of the crowd of traffic around me and i am being controlled by my environment just like if you can't create your own energy in a game or in a practice and you're on the road and the other crowd and the other team is hype and your team starts feeling a little down and intimidated you have to know how to create your own energy in a stadium that is completely against you that's an unbelievable skill set or to create energy in a dead stadium right or to create energy in a dead room or to go in as a coach and create your own energy when your players are feeling a little bit resistant and you're starting to feel frustrated that they're not aligning with you. You need to be able to create your own positive energy to bring courage to them because they're not supplying it for themselves. So it's the same thing here. We're talking about creating energy. You know, DeSacks was talking about, about uh, rebirthing courage on a daily basis. So now as we pivot, and, and, and BK, if I could yeah. interject there, yeah. that was actually episode one we did on August 18th. So really looking way back to the beginning of the journey, that was the first thing we talked about, episode one, create energy. That's great. That's awesome. So first, we, we have four things to, to walk through today on accountability, and the first of which is understanding that accountability never, ever works in isolation. Accountability always works together with a handful of other things. And we talk about this in our virtual training. We, we, in, the, in the system of lead now that we teach, accountability is one of the six components of leadership. It's one of the elements. Of the six, it's one of the most misunderstood ones. 
So first, let me just lay this out. Here's the first pillar. Accountability requires first that you are clear, then that you are intentional. Now you're in a position to be accountable. So it's be clear, be intentional, and be accountable. And we, we lay this out on the Focus 3 podcast as well. If you're going to hold people accountable, if you're going to hold yourself accountable, if you have – really, if you have any desire or hope to be good at holding yourself accountable or anyone else accountable, and I do believe that is the flow, you are accountable first and your players and staff are accountable second. I think that's the flow. Is it, that means that you have to be clear first. What are you accountable to? What are you accountable for? What is the standard? The second is you have to actually be intentional about how you've taught it, how you've trained it, how you've observed it, how you've, how you've built it, how you've lived it, how you act on it, how you correct it. Now you're in a position to be accountable. One of the most common and, frankly, easy mistakes to make is to apply accountability before you have applied clarity and intentionality. You have to do a lot of work a lot of work before you get to accountability in whatever form we get to it, which we're going to talk about. There is so much to be done before accountability gets there. And I, I don't observe, I really don't, I don't observe enough being done in basically every environment. And it's still really rare for accountability to be done well. Would you agree with that, that it's rare for accountability to be done consistent and well and at a really elite level? Would, would you agree it's rare? I agree that it seems to be slipping away from us, I think, more and more as we become this instant on-demand society. We, I think, are, are giving way to letting account accountability slide a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, there's – people will ask, well, what do I need to be clear about and what do I need to be intentional about? And here's the easy answer. Whatever you're holding yourself and other people accountable for. What do you need to be clear about, and what do you need to be intentional about, whatever it is that you're holding people accountable for? Culture is one of the first things that comes to my mind where mistakes get made in this, is we want to hold people accountable for culture, but we were never really that clear about it for, to begin with, and we were never really that intentional about integrating it into our day-to-day -day activities. Then we want to hold people accountable for it, but we haven't really talked to them. We haven't really taught them. We haven't really trained them. We haven't really made culture part of how we do our drills, watch films, have conversations with each other, lift. But we want everybody to be accountable for it. You can't hold people accountable if you weren't clear and intentional beforehand. And let me make it really personal. I want to know when I meet an individual, I want to know what their culture is. And let me, let me shift that word. I want to know what their character is because I think you have a personal culture. And what we refer to it in society as is we refer to it as character. And the reason character is easy to slip is because we don't clarify what our character is up front. We don't write it down. We don't make it specific. We don't make it concrete. What we do is we say, I believe in honesty. Or I believe in collaboration. Or I believe in uh, um, doing the right thing. And it's just fuzzy. What's the right thing? It, it changes from environment to environment. 
I mean, you, you take a simple decision as kid has a, an academic issue or a drug issue or had a situation with a girl or you know, did something inappropriate inside the school and people are all upset. And then there's the decision, right? Is does the kid stay on the team or does the kid not stay on the team? What's the right thing to do in that situation? It's completely variable from situation to situation, school to school and student to student, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And it, it is. It's, it's a it, tough it thing. It always depends on the context. Right. It's, it's a tough thing for coaches to make that decision all the time. And, and I think the biggest thing is today's society, you, you see right away that decision made. I mean, you see it on going to be out on social media, whether you are a small high school team or you're in the NFL, people are going to have the ability to comment on it. So you have to be very clear in how you handle those situations. There you go. So I take things like that and I say, well, why do we struggle to do the right thing? First and foremost, I work really hard on this stuff. I don't know what the right thing always is, Keith. I really don't. Sometimes there's a bunch of right decisions. Other times there's a few right decisions. Other times there's one and it's just a really hard one to make. The point is do the right thing. It's not always clear. Right. We have to be more specific. We have to set step. What is the right thing for you? And then how do you want to live that? Then you have to be intentional about actually doing that. Now, what do you think is harder, Keith? Do you think it's harder to decide the kind of person that you want to be? Or do you think it's harder to be the kind of person that you want to be? Oh, I think it's always easier to, to be that. It's easy to decide what you want to be. It's, it's then having the behaviors that, that you carry out that are in line with what, what you decide to be. You got it. So if I decide I'm going to be a person who tells the truth, I'm going to be honest with my wife and with my kids and with my players, with my colleagues, I'm going to be honest on this podcast. Now the question is what? I've clarified I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell the truth because that's the man I want to be. Now I have to go out into the world and I got to face the rub of following through on who I've said I am and who I've said I want to be. That is much harder because I'm going to get to a moment with my wife, with my kids, with my colleagues, with my clients where telling the truth is going to be uncomfortable and it's going to make me unpopular and it's going to create strain. It's going to create conflict between me and somebody else. And in that moment, being intentional is what I need. I've already clarified. Now I need to be intentional. And then the accountability piece is actually observing how well we align intentionally in action with who we said we are and what it is that we want to do. Accountability, and now we move into the second pillar. Here's what accountability is. Accountability is observing what we do and acting on what we observe. That's what accountability is. Accountability, one more time, is observing what we do and then acting on what we observe. Remember in a previous episode where we talked about, I think we talked, it was in the challenges to your culture. We talked about in culture, you draw the box, right? And, and you, when you draw a really clear box of what your culture is, inside that culture is alignment, outside of it is misalignment. Inside is who we are, outside of that is not who we are. Accountability is the sometimes enjoyable, sometimes painful process of what? Being clear, which is drawing the box, intentional, which is living, accountability is what? Looking at how we lived and asking ourselves the critical question, what did I do that was inside the box of who I said I want to be 
And what did I do? And this is where it gets uncomfortable and painful sometimes. What do I do in the manner in which I do it is what? Outside that box. That's accountability. And it's both. Accountability is not punishing all of the things done outside the box, which is how most people perceive accountability. Accountability is not punishment. Accountability is observing what I've done or what someone else has done and then acting on what it is that you've observed. If it was inside the box, accountability says what? Great job. Get better. Reinforce. Celebrate. All those different things. If it was outside the box, it's what? Hey, make sure you're paying attention to that. Hey, didn't quite hit the mark. Hey, not quite good enough over there. Hey, unacceptable. Hey, absolutely not. Or if it's really outside the box, we're going to sit down and we need to have, you know, with ourselves. I need to have a, I need, I need to go deep inside myself and realize and ask myself, why is my behavior so far out of alignment with who I've said I want to be and how I've said I want to live? Why am I not doing that? I mean, I, I, me first in line among them. I don't know a single person who wouldn't benefit from that level of introspection and accountability with oneself. And then secondarily, I don't know who wouldn't benefit from that approach to accountability inside their programs. Here's a great thing for coaches to do, and I'll, I'll pause before we get into the last two pillars. Here's a great thing for coaches to do. Well, let me ask you first, Keith. If you – at USA Football, okay, you're, yeah, USA Football, if you, you go into the next team or company meeting and CEO Scott Hallenbach comes down and he says, all right, guys, just so you know, 2018 is going to be the year of accountability. You will all be held accountable for your roles and what you do in 2018. Is that team walking out of that meeting super fired up, super excited, <laughs> going home to their spouse and saying, honey, finally, finally, we're getting what we wanted, more accountability. Yes, let's go celebrate. Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, because accountability for us now has a negative connotation. It's been yes. been turned into essentially punishment and think people think they're being punished when you say we're going to be accountable it, it, boy it makes everybody yeah. nervous doesn't it? it absolutely and because what do we say we tell them what to do and then we follow it up with what a statement you will be held accountable and we don't mean that we we never mean it when we say that to, in today's world few people i should say mean that when they say it of if you do it just like i've laid out and whether you meet the standard or whether you really do it at a high level, you are going to be rewarded handsomely and it is going to be awesome for you and everything is going to be great. We don't mean that when we say you will be held accountable. We say you will be held accountable and then we're what? We're looking. We're waiting for somebody to step out of alignment. There's, a, there's a punitive feel to it, right? There's, boy, I'm yeah. going to step out of line. There's going to be punishment. When in reality, we really need to, to flip the switch on that and understand that when you are not aligned with it, there's going to be learning. There's going to be someone to educate you on how, how it is done correctly. It's not going to be necessarily a punitive kind of accountability or the connotation that we have with this. And maybe it will, maybe it won't be punitive. You know, that depends right. on the context right. we'll get to. But at a minimum, here's what coaches need to do. And well, this is why it's so dangerous. Coaches need to redefine accountability for their staff, themselves, and their team. They have to redefine it. Observe and act. This is in the virtual training that we teach, and we go really deep into this in the Lead Now system. 
But for here, we need to redefine accountability on our teams. And the reason we need to do it is because at this point of 2017, almost going into 2018 now, you say the word accountability and you are triggering the very resistance that you're trying to prevent. Exactly. Because if you say the word accountability today, people are not lining up to say, oh, give me more of that. <laughs> They're pushing back against it. Is that, is that a fair take? That is a fair take. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, sure. they think the, so there's a consequence. It. Something's going to be taken away from me if I don't do this right. And, and now you get focused on the negative side of things, I believe. It, it kind of hurts performance. It, exactly. You're triggering the wrong kind of fear. You're triggering fear of making mistakes, fear of getting caught, and you're motivating minimum level of compliance to avoid the negative form of accountability. That's what redefining this will do. And it'll take work because first you have to redefine it. That's clear. Then you have to be intentional about how you do it. That's that be intentional portion. And then the third is there's a skill with which you do it, which is you have to be accountable about how you hold people accountable. I don't want to get too confusing on that, but the first is be clear, be intentional, be accountable. Be clear about how you define accountability, what, it, what it's supposed to look like. Be intentional about how you do it in your life and in your program, and then be accountable for how good you are at it. And if you're not that good, doesn't matter, get better. If how you have to do it today is different than how you did it in 2005, doesn't matter, get better. You've got to be good now. So that's the second piece is redefine accountability as observe and act. In the virtual training, the way we specifically say it is accountability is the unique combination of pay attention and take action. And there are a number of specific things about how to do that that we train as part of lead now. The third and fourth pillars where we'll, where we'll wrap up with this today is in the process of doing that with accountability, in the process of observing and acting, which it's a neutral activity. It's, it's, it's neither positive nor negative. It has, it has both forms. Here's the simple portion of what we need to do. You need to reward for alignment and you need to create discomfort for misalignment. Okay? You need to reward for alignment, observe and act. If you observe them doing what they're supposed to do and you observe them doing it at a really high level, reward for aligning with the standards. Reward for getting other people to align with the standards. If, on the other hand, you observe and they don't align, and you watch that they are not doing things up to the standard, then you need to create discomfort for the level or amount of misalignment that that person or player is engaging in. So there's two different simple forms that accountability takes. The reward of aligning, that's a great form of accountability, and then the discomfort of misaligning, and that's another great form of accountability. If you only do one of them, you're missing the skill of accountability. You're 50%. So with those two things in mind, I use the words reward and discomfort. And those two things both have scales, right? So, you know, you go back and look at observe and act. The level or intensity of the action you engage in needs to depend on what it is that you actually observe. If you're observing something that is on a scale from one to 10, a one level of misalignment, don't take level nine action against it. You got to match that, which I'll talk in a second. But how you reward someone is different depending on who they are. So go back to what we talked about in episodes four and five of the leadership journey on, on this 
series that we've done. In episode four, we talked about connection. In episode five, we talked about trust. And we talked about, we laid out how important connecting with your players was and with your staff is so that you could find out what matters to them. And then in trust, we talk about how important their trust is because every result you're going after is going to be limited to or capped by the amount of trust they have in you, including accountability. We talked connection in the fourth episode of this, which came out on September 11th. We talked about trust on the fifth episode, which was September 19th. I would encourage you, after finishing this episode, to go back and listen to the connection and trust episodes with these things in mind. So here's how this works, Keith. Have you found in your coaching career, in your personal life, in your professional career, that people value the same rewards in the same way? No, that's not true. I think everybody no, has no. a has a different way of receiving those. Yeah, right. And then have you found in your coaching career, your personal life, in your professional life, that people find the same things uncomfortable? No, I don't find that, that that's all the same with everybody either. I think everybody, again, has a, has a different way of being able to accept that and learn from it. Yep. So accountability is personal. Yes. When you reward for alignment, that depends on how well you know what matters to that person or to those people, and then how you make that also important to you and reward in alignment with what it is they value. So just a couple pieces on that. Same thing with discomfort, but a couple pieces on the rewarding. The first is don't view reward as money or playing time or other things. It can be. I say money just because people think reward and they think, oh, you, you get paid more. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that because I don't get paid anymore. That, that's a surface level stuff and playing time matters to players and all that stuff. But there's things that are even more powerful than that. Use them, but understand on a bigger scale. The first thing about rewarding for alignment is treat them well. One of the best things you can do for accountability is the players that are aligning, the players that are doing what you're asking. Treat them phenomenally well. Whatever that looks like for them, whatever that looks like for you, treat them well. We work with some programs, act like a man, get treated like a man. That's the phrase they use. That's the standard. Act like a man, get treated like a man. The converse of that is the discomfort of misalignment is you don't act like a man, you're not getting treated like one. So first thing, treat them well. The next thing on reward for alignment is celebrate them. Use accountability as a tool to celebrate the alignment, to celebrate the standard, to shine a light on the people who are doing things really well and celebrate the hell out of those people. That's accountability. When you align, this happens. You've been held accountable. That's like heresy to some people to talk about accountability in that way. And we have to get over this. Well, I got to celebrate you doing your job. Yes, because people respond to it. Yes, because when you give that kind of courage to one player or to one staff member or to a group of players, what happens to the courage in that one person or that small group of people? What happens to their courage and how it affects the rest of the team? It spreads, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So when you celebrate that stuff, you're spreading that spirit across the team. Do that really well and do it in conjunction 
with what you want to be clear and what intentionality you want people to live with. Match the accountability in celebration to the clarity of the culture or the standard, to the intentionality of how they live it, and marry those three things together in a really powerful way by celebrating it and treating those people well. And then the last piece, and this kind of gets tactical, is put those people out front. The people that are aligning, reward them by putting them out front and isolating them in a good way, or not isolating, putting them out front and getting them ahead of or identified out front or in the midst of the larger group. Really put them on a pedestal. And here's what that does. Two really powerful things. And it can be done any number of ways. I was talking to a coach in Nebraska at the coaches clinic that we did out there. And he was saying, how do I really enforce the culture? And I said, well, first, put everybody in a white t-shirt and have everybody wear a white t-shirt. And then the people that are aligning, give them a special colored t-shirt. I think their school colors were red and blue. And I said, put everybody in a white shirt. And then as players show you who they are, the players that are aligning, put them in a red and blue shirt. Players that are crushing it, players that are holding the standard, you know, working their face off, put them in a red and blue shirt. Players that are not, we're going to put them in a different color shirt. We'll get to that one. But the value of putting those players out front with something as simple as everybody has a white shirt. As soon as you prove it and you're one of those guys, you get a red and blue shirt. And it's a cool looking shirt. You know, makes it, you know, you get treated well, get cool gear, makes them feel celebrated and special. Here's what that does. Number one, it feels good to be rewarded like that, doesn't it? Then it feels good to be identified by your coach as, hey, I'm a leader. I'm out front. I'm a pace setter. Doesn't that feel good to get recognized? Yeah, guys love that. Yep. It does. They do. But what else does that do if I put a red or blue shirt on you? What else does that do? Besides just feeling good, now there's a whole team of, let's just call it 60 kids, okay, 60 young men. And now there's four of them that have red and blue shirts, and there's 56 that have white shirts. What does that, when I'm watching practice, what stands out to me? Your red shirts. Your guys in the colored shirts. Go. Yeah. There you go. Which makes them easier to identify, which means it's easier to see whether they what? Are or are not setting the standard. So the subtle thing of celebrating these guys and putting them out front is it both feels good, but it also puts them in a position where they can't go backwards. Because now everybody sees they're a red shirt guy. You would better hold the line. But it's subtle because you, you don't have to get angry at them. You don't have to tell them, hey, you better do this. No, no, they've already proven it. They've already shown it. Now, that guy puts that shirt on. The last thing he can do is go out on the field and slack because he's a red shirt guy. That's right. It's a special thing to be able to have that on. There's an identity wrapped up in that, and, the, and they don't want to let go of it. That's accountability. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It reminds me of something. I was coming back from Arizona last week and some work we were doing out there, and I was reading Above the Line again by Urban Meyer, and he talked about how he, when he was at Florida, he and Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow being one of those guys, right? And they didn't do the, the thing with shirts there, but Tim Tebow being one of those leaders and how Tim would come in his office and they would talk about who we pulling over. He talked about the 10-80-10 principle, but how do, who do we pull into this elite group of, of 10? And they would go and work on those guys every day. So I think that's, that becomes also part of the accountability of that group is let's change all these white shirts into reds. Let's get those guys to align. The standard will never change. Clear and intentional means this. The red shirt meets this standard. You can be the coolest guy ever. You don't meet the standard, you don't get a shirt. I love you. I love you. You can be my son. 
You don't meet the standard, you don't get a shirt. You'll be a white shirt until you earn it. There's no special treatment about that. You can be my starting quarterback. Earn your red shirt. That's the point of clarity and intentionality first. It makes accountability so much easier. And if you look around, that's what the best cultures do. They set the standard. They change it for no one. And then they say, meet it or live in that other world. Meet the standard or go to the other world. And the other world in this case is one of the guys that doesn't get treated as well. One of the guys that doesn't get celebrated as well. And that's where we get to the fourth pillar, which is you have to create discomfort for misalignment. And I'll go back to what you said, just like on reward. The better you know your players, the more you know how to reward them in ways that they value. That's such an important piece. That's so important. Don't reward them according to what you value and what you think is cool. Reward them on things they think are cool. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter whether you think it's cool. If they think it's cool and you attach rewards to the things they think are cool and interesting, you're going to have their heart. If you don't, you're going to reward them what you think is cool and they're not going to be motivated and you're going to be caught doing a bunch of things that they don't really value that much. So connect with your players, build that trust with them, and then you use that connection to find out what they value and reward against that. Don't guess. Find out. You also, as you get connected to your players, find out what makes them uncomfortable. You can start triggering that discomfort for misalignment when they start stepping outside, and that's the form of accountability that the course correction. This is where you challenge them. This is where you let them know, hey, I'm not rewarding you because you're not doing it. Not only are you not doing it, you're misaligned with what we're doing, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to scale the level of discomfort to match the level of misalignment. Do not go knee-jerk. Do not go thermonuclear for an infraction that isn't that big. Okay? Scale the level of discomfort to the level of misalignment. Now, if it's not aligned, make it uncomfortable. That could be a conversation. If it's not aligned, make it uncomfortable. That could be a conversation with one player in front of the whole team. Two different forms of discomfort. I think a lot of players, Keith, have learned how to handle an uncomfortable conversation with a coach one-on-one. -on -one. And they nod their head, they get through it, and they say, all right, that was uncomfortable and I didn't like that, but it's another talking to, especially for teenagers. It's like, it's like all they get is another talking to. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a totally different form of discomfort when that talking to happens in front of all my boys. Always. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. So scale the discomfort to match the level of misalignment. Second thing, it's so simple, it's almost silly. Make it uncool to not align with whatever you want to hold people accountable for, which depends on you knowing what's cool and what's not cool to your players. Make it uncool. Like, what do people want to look? People want to be cool, especially, you know, college, high school. They want to be cool. So make it uncool to not align. Now, you've got to find out what that is. You got to find out how to trigger that. You got to find out how to make that. For example, those T-shirts. Okay. I think this is awesome, right? In high school and college, how do people, how do young men in playing football, how do they want to look? Most guys, how do they want to look? They want to look cool, right? Yep. They want yeah. some swag. Yeah. 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 You got it right. So make it look uncool. Guy doesn't align. Go out and buy XL and double XL shirts in some ugly color. Don't buy pink and don't buy purple. Otherwise, you're going to have the school board on you. Okay, buy, buy some color like of your, buy the color of your biggest rival. Buy some ugly brown shirt, unless your colors are brown, in which case 
you know, they're probably a handsome view, <laughs> but by, by, you know, Bob Wallace listening here, put brown <laughs> and yellow, they're, they're, they're getting mad at me. Buy XL, double XL shirts from like some brand that is baggy and gross looking. Buy some of those shirts and player doesn't align. Say here, you wear this to every workout until you earn your way out of it. And you make him look uncool. And he'll be the only one or two guys out there wearing some big brag baggy shirt. And I'm picturing some, some like 90 pound freshman who, you know, doesn't want to do all this stuff. And you're like, he's like, this is an XL. You're like, yeah, put it on. The sleeves, the short sleeve goes down to his wrist. Put it on. Get the workout done. Don't like it? Show me. I love you, but you don't get to miss a line like that and then continue to try to hold on to your coolness on this team. You don't get to be cool and out of alignment. I'm going to make you uncool as long as you're out of alignment because I'm going to make it awesome and fun and great and desirable to be in alignment. And so get creative. Have fun with it. Never ridicule, right? Don't disparage. Don't tear people down. But make it uncool to not align. Make it cool to align. And then here's the last piece on discomfort, misalignment. I believe the most powerful form of discomfort is social discomfort. That's why it's so uncool to be wearing that brown baggy shirt when everybody else is wearing either a white shirt that fits pretty well or a red shirt that's awesome from Under Armour, form-fitting, whatever. Now I'm like one of two guys wearing a brown shirt and all my friends have white shirts and I have to show up in some ugly brown shirt. That is socially uncomfortable. And that moves the heart to what? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the only one. We have a coach that we work with who had a player who was not taking academics seriously. And so what we decided to do was we said, here's what we're going to do. In the off-season, they got that. This is when the things were happening. We brought a desk into the weight room and that player came into the weight room desk was right in the middle and for every lifting session until he got his gpa where it needed to be the desk was set right in the middle of the weight room and the player stayed in civilian clothes and did homework in the center of the weight room while the rest of the team or his position group was in the weight room listing all around him doing all of their work it was socially uncomfortable and it took, I think it took like, I think it took three weeks of doing that to get things back onto track. But the point was there's consequences for misalignment and those consequences, I believe are most powerful when they're social consequences, because that's what they value so much. And so you make it socially uncomfortable to be out of alignment. Got kids who are, kids who are aligned, get to drink Gatorade. Kids who don't get to go have drinks from the water fountain. It could be that simple. It can really be that simple. So those are the things. Reward for alignment. Treat them well. Celebrate them. Put them out front so that it feels good and sets the expectations that they have to hold a line now because they've been identified as one of those guys and they can't dip back below the bar once they have something like that unless you take it away from them. And then create discomfort for misalignment. Scale the level of discomfort to the level of misalignment. Make it uncool to not align, which depends on how cool you make it to align. Again, on their reference point, not on yours. And then use social discomfort as one of the most powerful tools to trigger alignment with what it is that you want to do. You can get, you can execute on those things right there. You're going to be executing accountability at a much higher level than those people. BK, thanks for some great tips there. Very actionable and tangible examples of 
how you can do that, how you can create accountability. A lot of, a lot of people talk about that and it's abstract, but I think you gave some great vision for how you do it. Pretty simple too. And how you start to create that accountability. And this is an important thing for our, our program, for our culture, for our leadership. You can find Brian Kite at tbriankite.com. I highly recommend signing up for his daily discipline. It's an email that I read every single morning. only takes a few minutes, but really gets you focused on what you need to do uh, to perform within your organization and to perform as an individual. Dailydiscipline.com, tbriankite.com, and check out all we're doing on Coach and Coordinator at coachandcoordinator.com. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.